Maybe you've heard the saying that beliefs have consequences. Well, the opposite is also true. Unbelief also has consequences. When a person persistently rejects God's message, God's messengers, and the Messiah, it leads to devastating consequences. Thanks for joining in on this episode of The Wisdom Journey with Stephen Davey. You can learn more about our ministry at wisdomonline.org. Stephen has a lesson today called The King's Banquet Invitation. In 1631, the royal publisher in London produced a brand new edition of the King James Bible. Now, the only problem uh, was the proofers made a mistake uh, back in Exodus chapter 20. That's the famous passage listing the Ten Commandments. The word not was accidentally left out of one of the commandments so that verse 14 read, thou shalt commit adultery. We can only imagine the scandal of this uh, oversight. And and when the shocking mistake was discovered, of course, the king uh, ordered all the copies to be destroyed, and the publisher fined 300 pounds. Now, in today's economy, that would be about $70,000. Some copies of the edition managed to uh, survive, however, and it became known as the Sinner's Bible or the Wicked Bible, it was nicknamed. And, of course, you can understand uh, why. That little typo was very embarrassing and and costly. Well, let me tell you, the, uh, the Supreme Court of Israel, the chief priests, scribes, and elders that made up the Sanhedrin, they're not only making a costly mistake, but but they're making an eternally dangerous mistake They've misread the character of Jesus Christ, and the consequences aren't going to be financial. They're going to be eternal. Now, Jesus is back in the temple teaching, and he delivers two more parables aimed at these religious leaders who are denying uh, his claim to have a future uh, and, and glorious kingdom. Now, the Gospels of Mark and Luke record only the first parable, so we're going to follow along here in Matthew's account. It records both parables. Jesus is standing in the temple courtyard, delivering the stinging parable, beginning here in chapter 21 and verse 33. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Now, Jesus here is clearly drawing upon the imagery of Isaiah chapter 5. That's where Israel is portrayed as the Lord's vineyard. Well, this vineyard Jesus is describing here is in the hands of tenant farmers, and what they're supposed to do is, is bring in a harvest of fruit. Well, harvest time arrives. The owner sends some servants to collect the fruit, but the tenants are unwilling to keep their agreement. Now, they, they want all the fruit for themselves. So Jesus says here in verse 35, the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Well, he sends more servants here, and and they get the same violent uh, reception. So finally, after showing 
uh, extreme patience, the owner decides to send his own son to collect the harvest. He he thinks the tenants are going to certainly show uh, the son uh, respect. But the result is tragic. Verse 38 reads, When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, with that, Jesus asks the audience, you know, what do they think uh, the owner is bound to do? And they answer here in verse 41, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So here's the analogy Jesus is delivering. It's pretty obvious, really. God set apart his vineyard, Israel, as his own choice property. He entrusted the nation to the care of her religious leaders. These are the tenants. God sends now the prophets to warn them of their greed and unfaithfulness, and and they kill God's messengers. And, And now they're about to kill the son, God's own son, the Lord Jesus. Now, just in case the Lord's audience doesn't get the picture and connect the dots, Jesus now quotes from Psalm 118. This is the same psalm, by the way, the people were chanting as they waved their palm branches and welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. And they were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, those are words that Jesus is quoting from this messianic psalm. It also includes the words, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, the son who will be killed will be honored by God the Father as the cornerstone. Now, what are the consequences of rejecting uh, the Son of God? Jesus says here in verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. In other words, the kingdom that was offered to this unbelieving generation of Israelites, well, it's going to be taken away from them. It's going to be given to a future believing generation of Israel. They're going to repent. They're going to follow Christ as he returns to set up his kingdom on earth. But there's another consequence here. The stone that is rejected, that's Jesus Christ himself, will become a stone of judgment. It's going to come and it's going to crush all who reject him. Now, the last two verses of chapter 21 record that the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, well, they get it. They, they fully understand that this parable applied to them. There's no way they can get around the truth of their rejection of Christ. But instead of, uh, of reflection and repentance, here's what they're going to do. They're going to move ahead with their plans to arrest Jesus, to kill the son of the owner. In fact, the only reason they're delaying his arrest at this point is because they're afraid of the crowds, because the crowds at this point consider Jesus a true prophet of God. Now, with that, Jesus goes on with with a second parable here in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, This time, there's a king giving a wedding feast for his son. However, when he sends servants out there to tell those who were previously invited that the feast is ready, well, the servants are ignored and nobody arrives to enjoy the wedding feast. So the father of the groom sends another round of servants out there to invite everyone to the wedding feast. And Jesus describes uh, the response this time here in verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, 
treated them shamefully, and killed them. So the graciousness and the patience of the king is met with hatred and murder. Well, the king then sends his soldiers and puts to death all of those killers, and he sets fire to their city. He then sends his servants out one more time, now to invite to the wedding feast anybody they can find along the road. So eventually the wedding hall is filled. Now here in verse 11 is a rather peculiar element introduced to us. Among those who come to the feast is a man who doesn't have on the traditional wedding garments the king has given to everyone. He gives these as gifts. Well, this man doesn't want to come dressed in the king's gift. He wants to come his own way. Well, Jesus says here in verse 13 that the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, of course, this is a a picture of eternal judgment. Now, at the end of this parable, uh, Jesus doesn't provide any explanation because, you know, frankly, he doesn't need to. The meaning is clear. If you choose to enter the kingdom in, in your own clothing, representing your own good works, you're going to be cast out. But if you arrive to the wedding feast wearing God's gift of salvation, the clothing he gives, well, you're going to get into the wedding feast. What about the Lord's warning implied by the king's burning uh, this city to the ground? Well, this is actually a prediction of the destruction coming on Jerusalem because of their unbelief. Their city's going to be judged by God as a reminder that they have rejected the Son the Son of God. And sure enough, a little later on in AD 70, the Roman army is going to arrive, destroy Jerusalem, and burn much of it to the ground. And by the way, to this day, beloved, it's nothing like it once was. But in a future day, in the coming kingdom of Christ, the Bible describes the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, rebuilding this temple, only this time in unbelievable splendor and glory when Christ returns. Now, in the meantime, don't forget this. Whether the world wants to believe it or not, you can't sneak into the kingdom on your own terms. You have to accept the king's invitation, and that invitation comes by way of Jesus, the Messiah. You can't arrive at the kingdom feast wearing your own clothes, what you've made with your own hands, No, you got to be wearing his gift of salvation. And let me tell you, if you will accept the king's invitation today, if you haven't already, he will robe you in what the Bible calls the garments of salvation, and you will never be turned away. Well, until we set sail again, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and he called this lesson The King's Banquet Invitation. Anytime you have a question regarding the Bible or the Christian faith, send that question to info at wisdomonline.org. Once Stephen has answered it, we'll add it to the collection of Bible answers at wisdomonline.org. 
And of course, you can also use that email address for any correspondence you want to have with our ministry. I hope we hear from you soon. Join us next time to continue along the wisdom journey 